Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. With uh, a very special guest who's been on the show many, many times, but he's got such a new story to tell. Stephen Forte will be here soon. And uh, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I got a little story for you. Okay. Remember when we were in New York for Connect? Yes. At breakfast, we were talking about our hotel rooms. What, what did we like about our hotel rooms? Uh, I liked the fact that they were safe, no, comfortable. It was the shower water pressure. Yes. Well, that's the New York thing, right? That's the New York thing. I figure we got New York boy on the show. We should talk a little New York thing. So I have been uh, getting my plumber to tinker with the pressure in my shower at home. Okay. Got it up a good like 40%. Wow. Let me tell you, it's worth spending time to make a better shower. It's something you use every day. And now I'm just delighted with my shower. It's That's awesome. awesome. Now, is this the one that where the where the stream of water just falls from the ceiling? That's right. The the but now it's a, <laughs> now it's like it's seriously raining. That'll take the, your skin off. It's not it's not <laughs> quite the elephant head from Seinfeld, but yeah, you know that's where we're headed. Wow, that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I got something fresh off the presses for Better Know Framework. So roll the music. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? And I say fresh off the presses. It is for me. Uh, <laughs> and that's all that really matters. Yeah. I just learned about this yesterday from my friend, Mateus Carvalho. He's an AppVNX guy. And uh, this is Algorithmia.com. Hmm. Algorithmia.com. Enabling AI in every application. Basically, it's a serverless AI layer. And they have two models, right? They have their own algorithms on demand mm-hmm. where world-class data scientists put their algorithms in the cloud and you can use them and call them with a REST interface, or you can host your own models. They have a marketplace for algorithms. That's cool. Yeah. How about that? An AI marketplace. Right. It's not just what they're doing. It's what you can do. And you can make a royalty every time somebody calls your algorithm. Cool. Yeah, and and if you look at it, so I'm just going to run down some of the top-rated ones. Uh, Image colorization, uh, a summarizer that summarizes English text. And then you got stuff like, you know, sentiment analysis and auto tag and nudity detection and all that stuff that you'd come to expect. But there's other cool stuff like social sentiment analysis. Hmm. Gives the positive, negative, and neutral sentiment of an English sentence. (laughs) It's just, it's very cool. Really interesting. Just another way, this is just a platform offering for trying using AI in your app without having to go through a lot of hoops. Right. And the cool thing about it is it really fulfills the promise of the internet, which is bringing everybody together and allowing people to share their ideas. In this case, they're sharing their algorithm, their code that can be used. And by the way, you can make some money from it. Nice. Yeah. Good one, dude. Yeah, I love it. Algorithmia.com. So, who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of Steve's last show, which was nine ninety nine. Yeah. 
in uh, 2014. So it's been a while. You know, yeah. we have done 607 shows since then. <laughs> and that was the one we talked about wearables and enterprises. I think one of the businesses he was involved in was doing some wearable stuff. And one of the talking points back in 2014 was Google Glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was the, it was the hotness at the time. And so this particular comment, I think, is very prescient because it's from Jack Stevens, and admittedly three years ago, where he says, perhaps Google Glass is the N- Apple Newton of wearables. <laughs> but yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it certainly turned out to be that, didn't it? Yes, it did. Uh, I like the ideas of what someone will do with glass rather than I like the device itself. That's also very astute. Uh, perhaps Google will call the glass equivalent of the iPhone or the iPad glass. Hmm. They will most likely be significantly involved. And then Jack makes one last comment, which is kind of stunning, which is perhaps the equivalent of an Android or WinFone will be the next big thing. And I think about what uh, Apple's doing with AR right now, where yeah. they've just provided software so you use your phone as the viewer rather than worrying about the headpiece as a way to drive stuff forward. Very compelling. So I think, Jack, you were thinking well three years ago. And uh, clearly, you need a mug. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And I'd like to make the argument that Google Glass actually was spot on insofar as the device itself was crap. But the augmented reality, that that's basically the Snapchat and Facebook Messenger phase, is actually like what Google Glass was doing, right? Richard, you, you know, hear so something? Just... <laughs> Somebody talking? <laughs> what is that? Oh, that's the voice of Stephen Forte. <laughs> you can edit that out. I just wanted to tell you guys. No, that. no, that's like, good. Go- that's a good commentary. And you're absolutely right. <laughs> like Google was was wrong by, by launching this device. It obviously should have been part of the camera and the phone, Where, but that's where Snapchat got right, right? So they kind of built off of Google Glass's failure. Yeah. Well, uh, more about that in a second, but uh, you can definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We donate our royalties on them to charity. (laughs) And speaking of charity, I think that's what we're speaking about today. Let me introduce Stephen Forte. He is now a managing partner at Fresco Capital and the co-founder and accelerator director of the Lodato C Challenge. Did I say that right? You did. Lodato C. Lodato C. (laughs) inspired by Pope Francis. Prior, he was the chief strategy officer at Telerik, the leading vendor of developer and team productivity tools acquired by Progress Software. Steve was the founder of Mach 5, a Silicon Valley-based startup accelerator and co-founder of Accelerator HK, Hong Kong's first startup accelerator. Steve has an MBA from the City University of New York and did postgrad work at the London School of Economics. An avid mountain climber, Stephen leads a trek in the Mount Everest region every fall to raise money for charity. After several years as an expat in Hong Kong, Stephen now lives in Silicon Valley with his wife and daughter, and you can follow him on Twitter at WorksOnMyPC. That's an awesome handle. (laughs) (laughs) We've discussed it on the show before. Yes, Yes, we have. It's awesome. (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> works on my PC. <laughs> well, it just works on my works on my Stardot Star now, right? It works on my device, works on my simulator. It, you know, I need to kind of bring it forward. What's really awesome about it is Richard and I were just having that conversation because he had changed your bio right before I introduced you, 
And on my PC, we saw your old bio. And he's like, works on my PC, dude. I don't know what's wrong with you. And you wrote it. I wrote this out. So So why is he working on mine and not on yours? Something's wrong with you. (laughs) Well, okay. So let's let's talk about Ladado C. Is, Is there anything else that you want to talk about Google Glass before we move on? No, I mean, just what I said before, I feel that Google Glass um, was the right concept, which was that um, computer vision, uh, true AR, VR geeks won't call Google Glass and right. what Snapchat is now doing virtual reality, or what I like to call it augmented reality. They won't even call it augmented reality, they'll call it computer vision. Yeah. And they were just way ahead of their time with that stuff. As you can see, the 12 to 18 year old demographic on Snapchat yeah. um, uses the Google Glass kind of technology. Um, I think by the trillions of filters per day. You know, one of my 15-year-old daughter's favorite things to do is to ask me a question and secretly take a video of me while I'm answering it and then turn me into a mouse with a fat, squeaky face. (laughs) That's that's what she does. It it makes me sad that the leading edge of technology is really about decorating faces. And and making people fat, fat, squeaky mouses. That's it. It is like, this this is what the future looks like, really? (laughs) Well, well, you should see my two-year-old daughter. All she wants to do is play with Snapchat filters. That is so awesome. And especially the one that makes your mouth really, really big. So she sticks out her tongue and the tongue comes (laughs) out like three feet long. So like now when we take regular pictures, like we were in Rome last week and we're at like this tourist attraction in St. Peter's Square and she's sticking her tongue out thinking it's going to be the augmented reality. So it's It's like a new kind of social warfare, I think. (laughs) Uh, I'm all fine with the big mouth thing on the baby until she's got the cheesy fish things in her mouth. The cheese, the fish crackers, right? Because then the crackers are huge, too. It's that's horrifying. See, before you were born, we used to do this manually. I used to slow down Ted Neward so he sounded stoned. And then in Java space, you got these guys. <laughs> we had to do that by hand. The old pill both ways. Now you have a fi- now you have a filter. All right. Enough fooling around. So tell me about how did this whole thing start? I mean, let's talk about what it is in a minute, but what was the genesis of this idea? The Laudato Sea Challenge? Yes. The genesis of the idea originally, of course, comes from Pope Francis. And for those of you out there that don't follow Pope Francis on Twitter or something, he wrote this thing called the Laudato Sea, which is, a I call it a manifesto. He doesn't call it a manifesto. I think it's called a papal acyclical, but it's a mm. manifesto challenging the world, particularly tech people too, but challenging the world to solve the problems that we've created for ourselves. So things like environmental crises, um, you know, human migration and refugee crises, things like that. And how the Laudato Si Challenge got formed was we were, um, we, meaning some of my partners and myself, were sitting in New York City. Um, oddly enough, I don't live in New York City anymore. Uh, mm. And Richard Campbell was visiting New York City that day and didn't even know I was in New York City. But that's yeah. just a sidebar. Mm-hmm. And I'm texting him rapidly saying, come to this really cool bar. I have like really high end people here like President Bill Clinton and Muhammad Yunus. And uh, the reason why I was at a bar with all these famous people was that it was the um, Clinton Global Initiative, uh, which is a conference CGI every year at the opening of the UN that the Clinton Foundation, um, that the Clinton Foundation puts on. And I happened to be at the CGI that year, and we were at an after party. And as all those famous people sweeped out and their security details sweeped out, it left a few of us. And we were just 
honestly, drinking pretty heavily for a long period of time. To you the don't point say. Where we, you don't say. <laughs> that's not a that's not a trend on some of my stories on .NET Rocks. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> the pizza and drinking. Pizza and drinking. Hey, at least I'm consistent. I haven't been on the show in a few years, and and I requested show nine nine nine. Just if you call, and I yes. want show one nine nine nine. Just to let you know, um, I like those one before the milestone. <laughs> Okay. And, um, so as we were, as we were at this bar and we were consuming our adult beverages, um, as we were, we were talking, we were basically going around the table, um, telling our favorite movies, you know, that type of stuff you do at, you know, three thirty four 4 AM when you're closing a bar down, this lady comes up to us, one of the straggler important people that didn't leave. And she said, Hey, you guys need to come to the Vatican next month. And we're like a little drunk. We're like, we're not going to the Vatican next month. Like, are you kidding me? See, most people go, we're driving to Florida. <laughs> exactly. You guys are like, we're going to see the Pope. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and, you know, it reminds me when you say that of like my days in, in university. I went to university on Long Island at Stony Brook, the North Shore. We would always say, let's drive to Montauk Point, which is the easternmost point right. of Long Island tip. And um, never we said it a thousand times, but we never actually did it, uh, mm. which is kind of ironic. Yeah. But um, this this wonderful lady, Vanessa, invited us to come to the Vatican. And we were really kind of like, no, we're not going to go to the Vatican. And as the day, as the night unfolded. Uh, I think we it was the day, in, actually. <laughs> actually, you think you are correct. As the day unfolded, um, we, you know, became friends with her and exchanged all the contact information. And then on, you know, then she, you know, texted us more information and sent us more information. We said, okay, maybe we will go to the Vatican. And that was um, about a month later. So just, um, this would have been around, um, the, the bar incident was September of 2016. And we went to the Vatican early November of 2016. So a little over a month after we were there, a month and a half after we were there. And what happened at the Vatican was they were having a conference of all these, um, bankers, a little bit of lawyers, mostly investors, and a handful of tech visionaries. And what they were trying to do is the Vatican basic, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to use Steve's language, not the Vatican's language, because their language was far more elegant. But hey, we're really good at giving money away, um, trying to solve the world's problems. Is there something we can do to augment that? Could we do some alternative schemes with our money or with our network of money to do, um, to do good in the world? And wow. there were about 40, there were about 40 groups of people there. And we were one of those groups. I would call us the bar group, um, or the New York City bar <laughs> group. You know, there was like the private equity group. There was like the really, the really important wealth management guys from London with pinstripe soups on group. There was the well educated with accents group smoking cigars later. Then there was us in jeans and t-shirts from the bar. <laughs> and 39 proposals basically said something like this. Hey, Vatican, give us $1 billion and we'll invest it into um, sustainable projects for you. Wow. And, my, and, and we originally thought that this was a good idea, too, for about eight nanoseconds at the bar. Um, but that's what the UN does. That's what the Vatican already funds and supports. So yeah. we kind of knew going in there that all of these other people at that conference would kind of go to the Vatican with their hand out where I went in and said, Hey, how about you give us nothing? We want no money. And, you know, a little sidebar, this, the Vatican actually doesn't have a ton of money. Right. It has a ton of assets, you know, like Michelangelo paintings. And if yep. you look on Google, they just uncovered or they were cleaning a room in the Vatican basement a week ago. Um, and they uncovered a Raphael painting that's 500 years old, the last painting he ever did. I mean, like, 
You yeah. know, that's just the craziness of the Vatican. Like, oh, over that box over there. Oh, what falls out? Italy in general, you find masterpieces everywhere because these artists lived a long time and they did a lot of work. And some of them they used as currency, you know? Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So the long and the short of it is we asked the Vatican to have access to them, to their people, to their facilities and their brand. And it was the beginning of the relationship of building a startup accelerator that was partnering with the Vatican in order to solve the world's problems. So they're mission-driven companies, companies that are on a mission that, um, mm. you know, want to solve a climate change problem or, or a problem around access to water or electricity, but yet fiercely for profit. Right. This is not charity. This is not an NGO. This isn't a nonprofit, right? This is, they're, they're fiercely for profit. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, this is the kind of the mantra of the younger generation. Those same people that might take pictures of their dad on Snapchat and make their face look <laughs> like a mouse. That generation <laughs> wants to solve the world's problems yes. using a mechanism of capital. They want to make a profit and solve the world's problem at the same time. Yeah. So pretty, so th we're ahead of the curve on that, on that trend. That's awesome. It's exactly what I've experienced from this generation is that they're very idealistic and that's exactly what we need. Absolutely right. Because what will happen is in the past, you had this notion of make money at any costs, you know, back right. if you think the quintessential example, that would be the, you know, we always quote the it. Me but generation. I don't think they <laughs> well, I was, I was actually going to quote the Wall Street movie, you know, Michael Douglas, you know, into the big monstrous yeah, yeah. cell phone, greed is good. Yeah. And we worshiped that in the 80s and the 90s and even into the 2000s up until Lehman Brothers in 2008, about almost 10 years ago. So that um, that is the definitely the past. And one of the arguments I make is today the young generation, like your daughter and slightly older, you know, that 15 to like 22 year old cohort, I think they're called Gen Z. Yeah. Um, that generation, we totally need them to kind of solve these problems that we've created. What's more interesting is using the current, um, infrastructure, they can't because if your daughter goes, goes off and wants to become an entrepreneur, she will go to Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley. Sand Hill Road is the Wall Street of the West Coast. It's where all the venture capitalists have their offices. And she will go and ask them for money. And those VCs will be like, ooh, you're, you're like a tree hugger. Like you're, you're like Greenpeace. Go, go talk to the NGOs and the social impact funds. Like mm -hmm. we don't want to touch you. <laughs> yeah. We're looking for the next Facebook, right? Yeah. And then she, she would go off to the, um, social impact funds and these, you know, like kind of like green investors. And she won't fit in perfectly to like the UN sustainable development goals, or she won't check all those check boxes. And they're going to be afraid that she wants to make a profit. Right. Like, how dare you make a profit off, off the environment? Or how dare you make a profit selling solar lights to poor people in Africa? Right, right, right? sure. Which are these, and I'm giving you criticisms people said to me to my face. No, right? no, it's true. Um, I, I know that sentiment well. Right. Um, so what does she do? She pivots to become either Instagram or an NGL because she can't get funding in either way. And, and that's the problem we're trying to solve with the Lodalto C challenge. That's the problem is that we're going to try to prove to the world that those companies are not only fundable, but wildly profitable. That's really awesome. I want to hear more to the story, but before we go on, we need to take a minute for this important message. Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl. Have you tried JetBrains Rider? It's a new cross-platform .NET IDE that's light yet powerful and comes from the makers of ReSharper, IntelliJ, IDEA, and WebStorm. You can write .NET code on Windows, Mac, or Linux. Rider has you covered. Rider helps you develop ASP.NET, .NET Core, .NET Framework, Xamarin, and Unity applications. Most languages used in .NET development are supported. 
from C-sharp, VBNet, F-sharp, and XAML to ASP.NET Razor syntax, JavaScript, TypeScript, and all that other front-end stuff. It comes with navigation, thousands of code inspections, refactorings, unit testing, debugging, rich coding assistance, and more advanced IDE features powered by proven technology from ReSharper and WebStorm. Download Rider now and take it for a 30-day trial at rider.netrocks.com. That's R-I-D-E-R dot D-O-T N-E-T R-O-C-K-S dot com. And you're listening to .NET Rocks. Stephen Forte is here, and uh, this is Carl Franklin. Richard Campbell's here, and Richard, you were in, sort of involved in this too. I mean, I remember you going to Rome to hang out with Steve and the Pope and all that stuff. Yeah, he well, he brought me in at the right time. Steve and I have worked together for a long time, and at the early stages of any accelerator, and we've worked on a few, it's uh, it's a little hairy. Like there's just a lot going on as you try to get everything organized, and I it can be a calming force. So I spent most of my time with arms around shoulders saying, don't worry, this is normal, everything's fine. Yeah. And uh, and really get to know these nine uh, remarkable companies. Just mm. they, they were all different and they're all, uh, but all had a strong vision and all had, uh, and we're at various stages of development too. Some were brand new, some had, had got a product out the door, were trying to scale. You know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting to try and help these companies uh, grow quickly. Yeah, yeah. So what happened next, man? Well, br- bringing Richard in was, um, which was, was, was great, which is, as Richard said, I always kind of bring him on these adventures. And first, I want to go back as if, Carl, if I announced to you that I won the Nobel Peace Prize right before I got on the show, like five minutes before, Richard would be like, yeah, that's cool. But let me tell you about this other fun thing that I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I Richard, well, he um, does, Richard isn't one to boast. He just right, says Richard the facts me. and you have to put two and two together and say, wait a minute, what? What did you do? Exactly. So Richard grounds me. But this was a project that Richard really threw himself into because he really was moved by it. Well, you understand, I was sick to death of accelerators. I've worked on a bunch of them. Right. And and when he initially said, I'm doing accelerator, I'm like, don't bother me. I'm not interested at all. Now, first of all, Richard, what was your role? What did you do? I was an advisor. I see. And so, I mean, advisors come in lots of different forms. It's all really based on what do you know? What can you help a company with? Right. You know, some are, some advisors are strong in finance. It can help them organize how their, how their fundraise should look and so forth. Some are strong in, uh, in growth hacking and mm. what's, what are marketing strategies and market test methodologies, things like that. I come at things from a very global perspective. So, you know, and especially when you're talking about this particular group of companies where they're working in unusual parts of the world, more developing nation work, that those sorts of things, e- the conversations are different. So being aware of, of what those folks are like and, and what things look like and, and helping them to understand the potential of some of the things they're doing. You know, often they're working on the first problem in front of them and aren't aware that it addresses three more problems down the line. Wow, that's awesome. It was very interesting having Richard there at the very beginning because what we had was um, these companies were coming in and they were flying into Rome and everything's brand new. So Richard's that calming influence and that calming voice, but yet at the same time adding all this value by showing them, hey, you guys are over here in your business model. Did you think of these three or four different uh, techniques? Or then, of course, with one of our very highly technical founders, 
that we used to joke was a Vulcan because he um, showed no emotion. Richard was able to crack through with him, right? And and because he started talking up geek, right? He started talking about the, um, you know, he basically Richard went and read the guy's PhD paper, right? And then started having a conversation with him. Right? <laughs> that that usually helps, right? <laughs> it gives you instant credibility. That's awesome. One of my favorite stories, just to, in terms of one of the companies, was uh, the Pro Trash folks. It's a group of uh, of women from Mexico. Uh, that are building a company specifically to uh, to do recycling in the sort of poorest parts of of places like Mexico. And the way they get the recycling done is they get the local people to collect the recycling and they actually pay them with it for it with a payment card. Huh. So and this card is good for groceries and things like that. Uh, which is cool on the surface. Uh, well, when I first met with the CEO, we, and we were talking through some things. He says, I have this one problem I don't understand. And I'm like, what is the problem? He says, not only are these people not spending the money on the payment card, they're bringing us cash and saying, can I put this on the card as well? Wow. And she's like, I don't know what's going on there, hmm. which is very, a very confusing thing. If you think that the business of turning in recycling for cash is the important part of the equation. Right. You know, the, what I said to her at the time was, what you've got here is a way to fix, for better or worse, a slum, but yeah. in an elegant way. Governments fix slums with bulldozers. Yeah. You're going to fix the slum with the people that live in it. Because the side effect of dealing with all that recycling is you're actually getting rid of a lot of garbage. Mm. And you're giving these people the first technological money they've ever had. They've never been to a bank. So, you know, first and foremost, do you know that they know how to use the card? But second, that card represents control over their wealth, over Mm. their money, a control they've never had before. So you can become their bank, but you can also elevate the entire neighborhood. You need to think beyond recycling. There's more happening here. You know, what comes next? I would presume sewage treatment, mm-hmm. right? What are the, what's the water situation? What's the power situation? You could address each of these things in turn. So, you know, it's, I think it's a, it's a great moment when you, when someone shows you their idea and they're used to being poo-pooed mm. and you do, you have that moment of yes and. Yeah. That's a great idea and it leads to this and this and this. Right. It opens up this whole world of opportunities for them that they never saw before. So that recycling is important. What other uh, companies have started in the incubator? We have a couple of really great companies and uh, one of them that stands out uh, makes a very durable uh, solar-powered light bulb. Hmm. And a lot of the tech geeks on the show will really appreciate this light bulb because it is um, engineered by an engineer as opposed to slapped together by just a designer, right. uh, which is what happens with a lot of these light bulbs. So it is a five-year battery life cycle. So you can charge the battery every day for five years. That's hmm. what the warranty is. It probably will last longer. Wow. And it's virtually indestructible. I mean, obviously, if you run it over with a Mack truck, it's going to explode, right? But if it's if you drop it from, you know, you throw it up in the air and drop it down on concrete, it's going to be just fine. It, it awesome. re- I'm like my daughter's threw it across a room on on top on a rooftop in in Italy, and it you know smashed into the wall, then onto the ground, and it's just fine. The way that it's designed, where it's con- it has a conclave um a conclave um bulb to it. Yeah, and. The interesting thing about this is in the developing world is probably, I don't know the exact number, it was probably um, 1.5 billion people a year that do all of their lighting by kerosene. And they mm. spend roughly 25 cents a day on the kerosene. 
And not only is that um, dangerous because kerosene lights on fire, kids will drink kerosene out of Coke bottles oh. because you usually buy the kerosene and Coke bottle. Oh, yeah. It's, it is the um, second largest um, leading cause of death for people under 18. Um, you know, some, some form of kerosene, whether it's fire, whether it's the inhalation of the smoke, those their eyes. Where is this community where this is happening? Um, most of the world, actually. Really? Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, sub Yeah, this is the unpowered, right? The unelectrified use huh. kerosene for light. So it's all over Central Africa, the most regions of Africa, in Southeast Asia. There's lots of parts of the world. So it's quite a challenge. I mean, that's, you know, to bring something like that to the unlit world, that's a big market. It is. And the kerosene is subsidized by the government. So you're competing against the subsidy, which is, you know, literally killing its citizens, right? Because, mm. um, you're, you're getting all the smoke inhalation. Yeah. But more importantly, the kids, when they study in school, they have this problem of, um, not being able to see, uh, the homework. So then the mm. homework either doesn't get done or they only do it for one hour and then you do the homework for two hours. Right. So these solar power bulbs can go outside of the home during the daytime. And charge, it takes about, um, you know, four to six hours to really charge it up. That's um, great. Good. On the low setting, it will last all day, almost, uh, almost 20 hours. On the high setting, it will last six hours straight. Wow. So it has a really great, um, looms that come out. And there's actually studies now that have shown the children that do like a solar panel um, using the solar lights versus the kerosene lights perform better in school. That's and so obviously, great. as you know, Right. If you perform better in school, it opens up all these other opportunities. So the problem that this company faces is that it, uh, these, these, these lights will sell retail in the developing world for over $10, which is a lot of money for people that are working on a dollar or two or three dollars a day. And while they spend 25 cents a day on the kerosene, it's not easy for them, even though pay, the light pays back for itself in about two months, mm. they can't forward that money. They, they can't front the two months because they're literally, this is the li- living hand to mouth. So they, one of the things that we talked about the accelerator was distribution models and microfinance models that will enable them to get into more of the homes because we don't, we can't teach them anything on the light bulb side. The guy has patents. He has a patent for humanity. He's, you know, great, great engineer. But we could help them with their distribution, which is what we spent the entire program on, helping them with distribution in multiple countries, helping them get the units subsidized, because you can even put a little bit of advertising on these lights, yeah, um, or helping them with introductions to NGOs that can put the title of the NGO on the light and then distribute them for um, you know below cost, right? Because the NGO has a mandate being a nonprofit, right? Or ultimately working with non um, working with microfinance and lenders. Uh, which has been a challenge because microfinance specifically is usually about income generating loans. Mm. So we have had some pretty significant challenges in the microfinance world. And that's what I've learned in this project that the, all these people mean well to help the world, but the frameworks that are out there to help the poor, to help the underclass, um, actually don't help. They, um, they're solving a lot of times the wrong problem. Yeah. Well, uh, hold that thought right there, because Richard, guess what time it is now? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's my pleasure to announce the Pope Cam. Webcams from Vatican City, which you can access at popecam.netrocks.com. And that's not a joke. This is the first (laughs) mid-show joke that is actually designed not to be funny. (laughs) These are actual webcams from Vatican City. Yes, you can watch mass uh you can watch different places in the vatican city from webcams 
Hilarious. And I just gave it a little DNS love there. Popecam.eros.com. <laughs> I just um, went to that website and oddly enough, I got a DNS error. There you go. Hasn't propagated quite yet. It just happened. <laughs> okay. God, I see. I see. Yeah. That's awesome. It's actually time to uh, give away a D experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Sagar Sahe. Congratulations, Sagar. Yes. Call flap for you, sir. <laughs> Round of applause for Sagar. <laughs> and uh, Sagar just won the D Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we already did it this year, so you're in for next year. But we also like to ask our guest, Stephen, and you've done this a few times now, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what, sir, would you buy? I would purchase a, um, a 3D camera that would actually not suck. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean a 3D camera or a 360 camera? I'm sorry, a 360 camera. Oh, right? A 360 okay. camera that would not suck. Now that would probably come in well under the um, the five thousand dollars. But having a two year old, so I'm I'm still a relatively new parent. I'm obsessed with photography. I, I you know, I've got the iPhone X with like the maximum storage. Like I call it the Apple Baby Tax. Um, <laughs> I had to get iCloud, Apple Care, the big hard drive, right? So I called the Apple Baby Tax because I wanted the best camera on the market. So <laughs> I'm thinking funny. about photography. So I would wow. get a a 360 camera, I would get some, you know, some major editing equipment, I would get some um, major storage, all that kind of good stuff. That's where I would spend my 5k. I'm probably pretty sure now that I think about it, as I start thinking through the hardware, that it would support the camera, I could spend the 5k pretty fast. I can get spend 5k on just the camera. Uh, really? Awesome. So yeah, there's a couple of top high end ones like the Insta 360s and the the Auras that come in at at five thousand bucks. Multiple 4K cameras. I knew Richard, you would come to my rescue. <laughs> I'm, I'm to spend. Dude, I'm if you, I'm always willing to spend your money. You just let me know. I'm here to help. You. <laughs> That's Richard's job. I thought job, this man. was like one K. I thought there was like a one to two K answer, and I'm like, oh, you know, I really got to spend five K, but leave it to Richard to help me fill that gap. 
the remaining 3,000. I love that. And not to get too meta on our personal conversations here, but I spent the evening with Kim Tripp and Paul Randall the other night. Uh-huh. Spent the night down there because I was in Redmond. And within the first hour of me being there, they had spent $1,000 on things I mentioned. Wow. They just <laughs> they like my secondary screen, my Asus screen, and like, oh, order two of those. And then I was showing them pictures from the boathouse. They were like, what camera is this? Oh, that's a Nest. Oh, we'll order three of those. And it's like, every time you come over, it costs us money. Well, you do have good taste in toys. That was your original title. I have acquired a few of them. It's true. Uh, You know, another angle on this that I found particularly interesting was, and I think it's a challenge in general, we talk about modernizing capitalism to have a a strong social conscience, is that as an investor or even as an advisor, you're almost conflicted. When it's when you're just worried about a for-profit business, is very much dotting the I's and crossing the T's about structuring finance, uh, marketing opportunity, we're in a workflow, pipeline, all of those good things. But you add this social conscience elements, and I think a couple of times we found situations where the company was wobbly, but the idea was so powerful that it sort of affects your judgment. You see this also on the non-social impact side. I mean, Silicon Valley VCs do this every day. They mm-hmm. see this team with a wobbly product and they're like, Oh, but you're, you know, you're the, you're the Instagram for moms. Like you're going to be the next <laughs> trillion dollar company, right? So, you know, we see this on both sides of the equation, but it is particularly a problem on the social impact side because, you know, Instagram for moms and being facetious, but like the next big thing only really means dollar signs. But on the social impact side, it, it affects lives. It affects real people in, in these remote regions. And I will admit, Richard is correct because choosing the companies, we actually chose 11 companies. Two companies turned us down, um, partly because they didn't need, they don't want to come to Rome. They, they couldn't meet the time commitment for the program. And of the 11 companies that we chose, the nine that actually came to Rome, it was hard because so many companies that applied were pretty much an NGO. They were pretty much some form of nonprofit. Hmm. We just couldn't accept them. Like, how do I make an investment into this company? How does it, how do I keep on the mandate? Like we took private investor money, um, to run this program. So like yeah. we, these companies have to just like Facebook, they have to either go IPO or get acquired or return significant dividends back to those investors. So there's a fiduciary responsibility that I have, but it was hard because you're looking at these companies through the lens of helping change the world. And remember, we want to try to prove a point to the world. That, you know, this is the first kind of, this is the first accelerator of its kind. So the scrutiny that these companies would get was going to probably be pretty high. So we wanted to make sure that we chose the companies that met both sides of that mission, that they were a bankable for-profit company, but at the same time, truly solving one of the world's uh, crises that was yeah. outlined in the Lodalto scene. Wow. It's just an amazing thing. And you know what, what comes to mind is that you guys are focusing on tech, which is really cool. I mean, I, I know you're doing some low-tech things too, but the tech things tend to be, uh, in my research anyway, tend to have more of an impact because the low-tech things have already been tried and, tr- you know, and failed. Absolutely. And the interesting part of this is bringing that tech into the Vatican. Um, so we're, you know, we're trying to explain to the Vatican what some of this tech is because they get the mission side of things. Right. The Vatican understands mm-hmm. like trying solar panel, you know, solar lights for poor people in Africa. Or we have a water filter company that is, is about a 10x 
uh, improvement in the speed of a water filter. And we've got all these different types of companies that have come through, obviously with the trash collection and then which ultimately, as Richard said, became a fin, you know, is a fintech as well as a, a trash company. Right. So we brought these nine companies into the Vatican. Unfortunately, it was about a day after Richard left. So he missed kind of the first experience when we went behind the Vatican walls, which, um, which was quite interesting because, um, they actually took us down into the crypt of St. Peter's underneath the Vatican for a mass. It's like wow. when you run an accelerator at the Vatican, there's certain, I felt like I was back in Catholic school in, in Queens, <laughs> New York. <laughs> I had nuns yelling at me, shushing me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was great. But <laughs> we had about eight Catholics of the 45 people, but they said everyone should come to a mass so you know who your partner is. So you understand the rituals of the, of the church. And as a Catholic, it was an awesome mass because it was about 35 minutes. Like the cardinal, we went with a very important cardinal named Cardinal Peter Turkson. Um, he's very influential up in the Vatican politics and, you know, mm-hmm. one of the most senior members of the Vatican. And he said the mass for us. And, um, my wife was on a business trip to Canada and I had to bring my two year old daughter to this mass. And then with the startups into the, the Vatican, because the nanny couldn't come in time. And one of our companies has a bucket of water that they fill with dirt and cigarettes and grime, because what they do is they connect their water filter to this bucket mm. and then the water filter will plow through that at um, a liter per minute, which is ridiculously fast and remove all the microbes and all the energy. So we come up from the mass and I'm going to, I'm looking, we we have to go out into the public area of Vatican city because I'm, because I told my nanny to meet me there so I can give hand off the kid. And um, then we're going to go into the offices of Cardinal Peter Turkson to have all the companies explain their technology and explain what they're doing. But the way to get there from the crypt um, you have to walk through St. Peter's Basilica. Now, at this time of day, it's probably about 8 a.m. by now, all the tourists are in there snapping pictures. So, of course, what do you think the 40 people that are in the accelerator, I tell them, don't stop to take pictures. We have to go straight to Cardinal Turks' office. Mm-hmm. Of course, they all stop and take pictures, and they're posing for <laughs> selfies, and they're doing their Snapchat filters. So the problem is we have the kid with the bucket. The kid has this bucket of water with this um, horrific... You know, smell to it and all very this gross stuff. water. Very <laughs> gross water. So you have this like you have this, have this Jewish kid in the Vatican from Southern <laughs> California, right? You know, not necessarily dressed all like we're all startup people, right? So we're not dressed in like suit and dyes. I have this running around two year old, and I have her stroller. The Vatican police come up to me and they're like, "You can't take the stroller into the Vatican, nor can you take that bucket into the Vatican." And I go, "But here we are." <laughs> <laughs> and um. And they then say to us, but, um, you know, how did you get in? Like, how did the Swiss guard let you through the gate? And I'm like, yeah, we went through the gate. You know, like I showed them the bucket. I put it through the X-ray detector. I put the stroller through the X-ray detector. And um, <laughs> these guys were not believing me. They thought we snuck in. And they were like kind of forcibly grabbing my wrist. Like, you know, it's a pretty serious deal. Like, yeah. I, I'm, like, oh, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to start a diplomatic incident. I'm like, um, you know, and I Again. was actually in. Well, and, and ironically, I was in conversations with the U.S. ambassador to the Vatican because you do projects like this. Um, we actually wrote up a we actually wrote up a brief of what we did, and the president read it. I wish it was a better president who read it, but the president read it, um, which was pretty cool. Working on a project that the president of the United States was briefed on. Um, so I'm dealing with the embassy. And I'm dealing now with the Vatican. I'm like my world is flashing before my eyes in slow motion. Like, oh my god, I'm going to be arrested. And so um, they said, "How did you?" They said, what gate did you use? And they're thinking we went in through the tourist gate. And I said, well, we went into the Santa Martha gate. And the Santa Martha gate is basically where the Pope lives. So like the only way you get through that gate is if you're like a head of state, a diplomat, or you're like your friends with the Pope. And we don't look like <laughs> any of that. 
right? <laughs> I've got this kid running around like high on sugar, going crazy, right? And I've got this bucket with cigarettes floating in it, right? So, um, and, and the Santa Marta is like a secret little side entrance. Like no one knows it exists unless you actually went through it. So the guard had like a moment of hesitation. Like maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. But then the guard was like, there is Google. <laughs> um, so this guy probably is full of it. So I said, hey, let's go talk to the guards right at the Santa Marta. Like, how can they forget the bucket and, and the kid, right? So we go over there. And of course, the guards remember my daughter and they remember the bucket. And the solution was to keep the bucket and the stroller in a closet in St. Peter's while the kids went around and Snapchat and took pictures of things. And so getting uh, getting this bucket of dirty water past the Swiss guards <laughs> was a challenge. But it was a lot of fun because later in the day, when we got to Cardinal Turkson's office and all nine of the startups took their technology out and took their presentations out and made a presentation. We were there for three or four hours. Um, Cardinal Turkson actually stopped. And next to him was this guy who's the secretary of state. Uh, his name was Father Bruno. And he go, and Father Bruno goes, how did you get that bucket past the Swiss guard? I go, well, let me tell you. And basically <laughs> told him the story. And they were laughing, they, which, which was great that they had a good sense of humor. That is but. such a great forte story, but not <laughs> quite the kind that I'm used to. <laughs> i've grown up <laughs> cardinal turkson is very funny uh you got to tell the story of because there's you get these instructions for when you meet a, a, a cardinal we're all supposed to stand right like that's, that's oh, the yeah. wow <laughs> yeah. so richard has a really great uh segue for me is so cardinal turkson from ghana he's a character he's just he's so much fun and that morning was the infamous morning where my daughter was running around St. Peter's and we had the bucket and we were meeting in his office uh, later in that afternoon. And like normal, um, Cardinals are busy people. I mean, these guys are running a country as besides a big major world religion. So we're in his office um, and he's running a little late and he's actually running a lot late. It was about 45 minutes late and I'm like checking my watch. I'm like randomly strolling the halls of this office building in Vatican City. Like they really, yeah, it was a whole complicated mess. They gave me a key once, but that's a whole side story. So I'm strolling around looking for him and like the handlers come about 15 minutes before he comes and one of them like whispers in my ear and I go, so Steve, um, whenever a cardinal enters a room, everyone's supposed to stand up. And, and greet him standing and then only sit down once he sits down. And when they speak to him, you have to call him your eminence and kind of bow your head. And I'm like, these are like Silicon Valley and startup ecosystem people. Like they don't know your eminence. They're all wearing shorts and t-shirts, right? So I'm like, okay, like, don't get me wrong. So I go in there and I beg and plead with everyone. I'm like, okay. And then they, of course, are. I mean, again, I misread the generation. I'm thinking my generation of Gen Xers that worship Michael Douglas greed is good. This is that younger generation that totally gets it. And they're like, yeah, we got it. We're in the Vatican. No problem, Steve. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so Cardinal Turkson finally arrives and um, I'm in the hallway with him. And I actually kind of have to stall him for 30 seconds because I'm sending in Jean-Marc, my assistant program director, to tell everyone, stand up. He's here. And, um, <laughs> so I make small talk with the Cardinal, which was easy because he, um, my daughter was a little misbehaving during that mass in, in the crypt of St. Peter. So he blessed her in the morning. So I thanked him for that. And we chatted for a few minutes and he said, well, he, he made some kind of joke about the companies. Like these better be good or something. I forget exactly what the joke was. This was back a number of months ago. So he walks in the room and everyone's standing and he goes, <laughs> what? Are all your people leaving? You're afraid of me? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so, having grown up, um, you know, went to Catholic school as a kid, not really a practicing Catholic today. It was a lot of fun to pull the, um, you know, to pull the curtain back 
and take a little peek behind the scenes in the Vatican. Like, you know, so one of the days we were doing, you, you asked about the technology, we had to come and make tech presentations to a group of cardinals and bishops and all that fun stuff. And um, they changed the room on me like four or five times, hmm. which happened which happened when Richard came back to Rome in December for Demo Day, but we can get to that later. So they give me a key. So I basically just walk into Vatican City and then I walk into like I walk into this room because they give me a key to like the side entrance, right? And I, I walk into this room, I start doing a tech check. And I was with my assistant and I said to her, I go, we just broke into a country. I go, like, we actually just broke. But they've got like this old projector from like, you know, Tech Ed 1999, threw it out and like someone from the Vatican donated it to the Vatican or something, right? They've got like this projector that's like 600 by 800 resolution. And I'm like, how am I? And we're on Mac, so we have to get all the dongles and, you know, get the resolution down. So I'm there playing with the tech check. And then when we, the next day, when we give the tech presentation to the Cardinals, they're telling us like, we're going to move to Slack. I'm like, say that again. They go, yeah, at the Vatican here, we're moving to Slack. And I'm like, really? Did I just hear that properly? Like the Pope is going to be sending Slack direct messages to you. He's like, yeah. He's like, we're all going on Slack. It comes on next month. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. So there's, there's a, um, there's this old ancientness to the Vatican where you have to kind of stand and call a Cardinal your eminence and, we're in some of these buildings. Richard was in one for the demo day. I mean, it looked like it was, I think it was 400 years old. Um, but then on the flip side, they're understanding social media and the power of social media. The Pope is on Twitter. The, the, the Vatican is on Slack. So it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, the two worlds merging together, right? So I brought these nine startups in behind the walls. I felt like a little bit of a Trojan horse, right? Like I'm bringing these startups in to kind of plant a seed inside the Vatican of, um, you know, bring some positive change to the, to the institution. And, and Steve, wasn't it Cardinal Turkson who really, who made the point, we got to stop worrying about shareholder value, start thinking stakeholder value? Yeah, great, great point, Richard. So on one of the subsequent visits to his office, I think this was now in September, because we were there from July through September. And um, I made a presentation about the future of capitalism. And, and part of the argument was, you know, capitalism has these great features, but the, you also get Lehman Brothers and you get you know, these dot-com bubbles and all this other bad stuff. And you get like really, really rich people, really, really poor people. And one of the reasons why I've always, when I've done my research, I thought capitalism was flawed is that the, the goal of an organization and particularly the management team of an organization is to increase the stock price or increasing shareholder value. Right. And, and when I made that presentation in front of Cardinal Turkson in September, in preparation for our December uh, presentations inside of Vatican City at the big demo day because that was like the huge shingding. So in September it was the last time I was going to see him before the December visit. He told me, um, well, what if you just replace the word increase shareholder value, with increase stakeholder value? And he goes, that's what you're talking about? Like capitalism 2.0 or the future of capitalism? Absolutely. So I've, um, I've kind of, uh, been running with that. Um, you mm. know, teaching the companies to increase the stakeholder value of everyone around you, the customer. The, your employees, the environment around you, and that type of thing. Is he the guy, Richard, that you told me about? Drives a Ferrari and has leathers and stuff, and he's just like this cool, down to earth dude. No, that's who is that? <laughs> there was no, I don't know. If there's anybody driving a Ferrari, but I told you the story of uh, Steve and I meeting the uh, Antonio. Antonio, yes, yeah, the Chief Inquisitor of the Francesca. That's Order. what it was, the Chief yes. Inquisitor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is. This is the weird stuff. When you run an accelerator at the Vatican, everyone at the Vatican takes notice. 
And <laughs> randomly, I was introduced to this guy, Antonio. Had nothing to do with the Vatican Bank or Cardinal Turkson's office. It just was like, I don't even know where the intro came from. And I went to a Franciscan high school. So the guy in charge of the Franciscan order, I thought was pretty cool, right? And uh, Richard was still in town. So Richard, my wife, went to the Franciscan friary. And they both saw me geek out a little bit because I had like 13 years of Franciscan education, right? So I'm like, I watched the... The, the guys walk around barefoot or in the sandals and stuff like that. But this guy is the one who um, basically investigates the priests when the priests do bad things. And I think you all uh, know okay. what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sh- basically make sure they are no longer priests and go to jail and get prosecuted and things like that. Right, right. And uh, he, traces, he traces his job back. He is the 68th Inquisitor General. Wow. Going back to the 1400s. Yeah. And, uh, but, pretty- yeah, being, we were in the headquarters of the Francescan order. He took us on a tour and we, we met the, the director general. We met the, the chief financial officer. We met, uh, the archivist. We were down in the, in the, uh, the reliquary rooms. It was just in a remarkable experience. So, uh, Steve, I bet you didn't relieve yourself in the fountain in this country. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did, I did not relieve. I was actually Carl very well behaved. Yes. You, I, I you, see and, that. you and the entire dot net not rocks audience would be simultaneously disappointed and proud of me for <laughs> my behavior. <laughs> well, you have sort of mellowed in your middle age, haven't you? I mean, you know, getting settling down, getting married, having a child. <laughs> Yeah. Buying, buying, buying a house and um, buying a house and having a child and settling down definitely mellows you. Yeah. Um, speaking of fountains, though, like Rome has all these fountains. And here's just a quirk of working in Vatican City all summer is I have a two year old daughter, as you know, I've mentioned multiple times. And it's a big deal. I mean, like I took her away and not many people take their daughter to Italy for two to three months. Right. Um, when they're that young. And she's rambunctious. She didn't know the difference. We, we went from this nice house in Silicon Valley to this beautiful but small apartment in the middle, in downtown Rome, like right next to St. Peter's. So I would take her every day to St. Peter's Square at 7 p.m. Because the, the place basically closes. The, the church closes at 6 is the last entrance. So all the tourists are gone. And there's all these fountains. So all the tourists are out of St. Peter's Square. So picture the world-famous St. Peter's Square. It's now filled with kids chasing pigeons and jumping into fountains and sponching <laughs> and squunching on the um, the puddles and just jumping up and down and being crazy. So um, it really became a big park. And it was just funny because, I mean, this is St. Peter's Square. It's like one of the most famous, it might be the most famous square in the world, but it's like my daughter, it's just like where the fountains were and where the pigeons were, where she right. would chase pigeons. Um, yeah. So it was really cool kind of like working to the point where people um, people came visiting, all the mentors came through, how Richard came for a week, you know, other mentors came, you know, subsequent to Richard and I would be taking them every day. And th- some of them, it was their first time there and they were geeking out, taking 360 photos and all these other things. And my daughter's just running around with all the other little Italian kids, like just playing tag and chasing pigeons and all that fun stuff. So it was, um, you know, some weird, weird things will happen when you do that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Well, guys, this has been great. Um, thank you for the work that you're both doing and, uh, what great stories. Oh, I'm super happy to tell you about it. So thanks for having me on to tell the story. Yeah, and I'm sure there's more to come in the years ahead. So keep us informed. Thank you, Stephen. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, 
and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.